It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm your host. I'm also one of the CFPs on the program. With me in the KFG studios, my business partners and fellow CFPs, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Last year was one of the best years in the stock market ever and one of the worst in the bond market. So what should you expect in 2022? What will be driving uh, the markets? What will be the themes to be watching for? How should you position your money in the new year? We're going to be talking about all of that and more today on the show. The Wise Money Show is about financial planning and having a process that you you view all six areas of your financial life through and then update and adapt to make to make great decisions to 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 apply financial wisdom to your life. Investments is just one of the six areas of financial planning. We're going to focus on that today. If you have questions for the show, we'd love to hear from you. If you have questions or need help, we'd love to help as well. You can find us online wisemoneyshow.com and you can reach out to us right there on the right. Um, you can call or text 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. And then all over social media, that's where most engagement comes, YouTube, Facebook, wherever. doesn't matter. Just search The Wise Money Show and follow us there. Yeah, guys, it, it was one of the best. I, I don't really believe it. I feel like I need to pinch myself, but was one of the best years in the stock market ever when you look at the overall return for the stock market, quote unquote, S&P 500, uh, nearly triple the long-term average. And yet the volatility was almost at, at record lows. Mm-hmm. And so you guys surprised at the market if, as we look back on 2021? I, I am. I mean, it, and maybe many of our listeners will be too, because when you look at your own investment performance, we're talking about the stock market, but we're defining that as the S&P 500, which is the it's the largest 500 companies here in the U.S. But the, the reality is that it, it was kind of a handful at the top that were yeah. dragging an awful lot of that performance. So n- no one invests in just the top 10 investments or top 10 stocks in the S&P 500, right? Yeah. Uh, unless they're really gambling, really aggressive, speculative even. Mm-hmm. Um, most people hold a diversified portfolio. And when you add in other types of investments, all of that would have been dragging down the performance of the few at the top there. So it, it may not feel like it was the best investment. You may not have performed better this past year than any other year. But uh, this, you know, just looking at the S&P 500, it was up pretty big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is very surprising. And having done this for 28 years, it, it's un, I, I feel it's unlike anything I've ever seen. And the I think an important thing to understand about the S&P 500, when the S&P 500 is doing well, everyone wants to compare their investments or their portfolio to the S&P 500. Yeah. When the S&P 500, it, you could have looked in 2009 – and you hadn't made a penny in 12 years. So when the S&P was flat over the last 12 years, looking back from 2009, no one wanted to compare their investments to that. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, I wouldn't compare my investments to that. Mm-hmm. And one of the, there, there are a number of factors that, that go into this. And I would, as I, you know, we're coming off of the, you know, you have the year end, you see, uh, family and friends at Christmas and New Year's and birthday parties and this and that and the other thing, and you're talking to people. 
And there's a lot of kind of fear of missing out or playing the comparison game or feeling. And a lot of our, I've had a number of clients just reach out and say, hey, do, is our stra- do we have the right strategy? Mm-hmm. That's the right question. Mm-hmm. That is the right question because whether I participated in what happened last year or not, and at some point I'd like to get into the, the, the top 10 stocks in the S&P 500 basically make up 30% of the S&P 500. Yeah. yeah. And you say, well, wait a minute, 10 uh, is not 30% <laughs> of 500. <laughs> right, right. So what is going on there? And I think it'd be good to explain, but I would. I just come back to this is a show about financial planning. This is one-sixth of your uh, financial plan, and this needs to be integrated into your financial life, but this is not your financial life. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're saying that, Kevin, because the the risk about having a show where we recap what happened last year in the investment world, you you may inadvertently start being distracted by numbers and performance and things like that that really mm-hmm. don't matter. And and this question of what should you be comparing your own performance to, it, it's not your neighbor. It's not the S&P 500 or any of the other metrics that we rattle off today. It is your own specific financial plan. Hopefully you have a path forward to the life that you've envisioned for yourself, then an ideal future out there that you're trying to achieve. And your investments are part of that. As you said, it's, it's going to help fund that future. But the path forward for you is not 28% a year, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It it is based on your own um, performance, based on your own risk tolerance, what you need to achieve in your financial life. And you can only find that answer by looking at your financial plan, working with your certified financial planner and determining what your benchmark is, what your path is, what your standard to measure yourself against is. And these numbers um, they're really just kind of a, a summary of what the various investments out there in the world did last year. You had some smattering, some mixture of them to help you drive towards your financial goals, but this is not necessarily the path that you should be comparing yourself to. Yeah, it was all over the board. I, I don't. I, I I would definitely agree that investors should not play the comparison game with the S and P five hundred because you own more than that, and you you should you you really should. Um, small caps uh, were up, I think twenty percent by March and finished the year only only up fourteen, which is interesting. International investments uh, were up nearly twenty percent by June and finished the year only up eleven. Emerging markets were up 10% by June and finished the year down 2.5%. Bonds just got out of the gate on the wrong foot. They were down all year and finished down 1.54%. By the way, that's the um, that's the fourth negative year ever in the bond market. The bond market was created, the index, if you will, was created in the, in the mid-70s. And this is only the fourth time since the mid-70s that the bond index was negative. So um, S&P 500 really was the story, but it shouldn't be the story or the headline or whatever for your investment performance and investment comparison. Yeah, there's always someone who can perform just a little bit better, right? So S&P 500 is what we're talking about. But yeah, commodities or take real estate. Real estate was up 41% last year. right. So, you know, and, and that's not even talking about just what's happened in your own net worth because of the value of your home going up, for example. I mean, yep. they're everything, almost everything, 
felt an appreciation last year. And we'll talk later about, well, what was driving all that? Well, so Kevin, you want to get into a little bit of this market breadth issue that I think, so So the S&P 500 made 70 all-time highs last year. Um, that's second only to 1998 when there were 77 all-time highs. That's just one of several statistics where you can compare this market to what was happening in the late 90s. Market breadth is another one if you wanted to start maybe talking about that. Well, when, if you look at the – and this is a jargon-free zone, so forgive me because it, there's a little bit of jargon here. But the S&P 500 is a market cap-weighted index. So that means that the bigger the company as far as their market capitalization, that's the, the number of shares times their share price, outstanding. The And if you said, well, Apple and Microsoft make up 11% of the S&P 500 mm-hmm. because of the, the sheer size financially of those two companies. And so there was... When you include... Alphabet, Google, right. right? Facebook as well. Tesla, um, Berkshire Hathaway, Amazon, the Fang stocks. You get yeah. you get a distorted, uh, you know, a lot, a very heavy segment of the market there. But that area, that, those few stocks perform differently than the rest. We're going to talk about that and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. What drove the markets last year and more importantly, what's likely to drive the markets this upcoming year and what should you be doing about it? That's what we're talking about right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast. Wherever you listen, go check it out. Search the Wise Money Show and subscribe to it or follow us there and rate the show as well on podcast. We appreciate that. All right, so we're devoting today's discussion to a recap of the markets in 2021 and what drove the markets and what's likely going to drive them in 2022, all to help you make a wise financial choice with your investment dollars. Let's continue recapping. We were talking about the the market breadth, which is a it's hard for me to say, but essentially <laughs> it is okay. It, when the index is moving in a certain direction, the overall market is moving in a certain direction. How many of the individual companies, the individual stocks, are also moving in that same direction? And the market was battling weak market breadth all year. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> yeah, thanks. All year. And where, okay, the market's trending this direction, but only 40% of the companies are actually moving that direction. Um, And what, Kevin, we even finished at one point near the end of the year where it was, I I think, uh, a a large percentage, let's just say that, while the market was hitting all-time highs, a large percentage of companies in the index were actually touching or had touched um, 52-week lows. Yeah, you would. I would call that a stealth bear market, and and again, this is where if you were, you know, they, they say uh, concentration creates wealth, diversification preserves wealth. So if you were concentrated, and you stepped up to the roulette wheel and and put your chips on the right number and color, uh, you you hit it big. Yeah. Um. That's it's not a great strategy, uh, for long-term success but certainly if you had exposure and and i can assure you all the people that had exposure to technology or the other asset classes that really performed well their 
probably not going to be shy about sharing their results <laughs> yeah, exactly. with you. Yeah. Uh, something else that people won't be shy about talking about is their Bitcoin investments yep. or their Dogecoin. Or, or, right. <laughs> so last year was another incredible year for Bitcoin. I was thinking back on it and uh, I was like, okay, where did it start 2021? I probably started around 40. No, it started at what, 29 or 20 or something like that. And yeah, it nearly got to 70 before it had it had its pullback. But if you look at the performance of that, I think it just hit its 13-year anniversary or whatever. Uh, it's been pretty incredible. Now, I would call that speculation. Still speculation, that's right? right? I mean, we still just don't know. And it's fascinating. And and the the idea of cryptocurrencies and specifically even Bitcoin is fascinating. No idea if that will pan out and create enduring value. Don't know. But no, no. of course, it's the stuff that people want to talk about because how many people do you have to endure hearing, hey, I was up 400% last year? You know, S&P 500, 28%. What are you kidding me? I do that in a week. Yeah. I mean, 68 cryptocurrencies increased by 1,000% or more. Yeah. So Gala, G A L A, was up 40,000%. <laughs> so, I mean, Josh, Josh wondered why I was driving that bright yellow Lamborghini. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Eat through six inches of snow to come to work this morning, <laughs> and it was because uh, that's hey. a joke. Those of you that yeah, don't know, so yeah, it's <laughs> not really funny. But uh, so, so certainly cryptocurrencies. I mean, you said you know, Bitcoin is now being referred to as digital gold. Um, but yeah. it, there have been a lot of there's been a lot of movement with cryptocurrencies. El Salvador considers Bitcoin legal tender, right? And so. There's, there's, a and apparently there's a fight within states uh, to preserve the citizens being able to use cryptocurrencies just as a posturing, just in case the federal government goes to ban it in some way or something like that. So it's, it's just fascinating stuff if you listen. It's hard to, it's hard to um, l- listen to that stuff and not get infatuated by it. So you've got to, you got to be, you got to be careful. The entire crypto market apparently is. Uh, is nearing $3 trillion, which Apple, of course, hit their market cap of $3 trillion the first week of the year, first trading day of the year, I believe. And so the entire crypto market, which is is designed to be this, hey, <laughs> it can't be manipulated. There's a finite amount of these things out there, <laughs> is now up to almost $3 trillion. That's pretty incredible. So yeah, anyway. and people say what 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 should my response to cryptocurrency be? And and I would encourage you if you want to if you if you currently have a job and you're sitting around thinking I wish I had a second job <laughs> yeah. then then I would say start studying yeah. cryptocurrency and dip your big toe in the water the other uh, big theme last year from an investment stamp- standpoint we're not going to get into it here maybe devote a show to it is is spacs uh, which is, is a is a is a different way of taking a company public. Um, it used to be thought of as a last resort way to take a company public, and it became the the thing to do last year. The performance, by the way, was atrocious uh, when you look at SPACs, uh, but that obviously got, I mean, we broke uh, tons of records for most IPOs and SPAC money raised and all that sort of stuff. Do you do you see that as a sign that, again, there's just too much cash floating around out there? I mean, Absolutely. people are pooling their money together in these SPACs. They're called special purpose acquisition companies. So the, the idea is you gather together millions and millions of dollars, 
not knowing exactly what you're going to do with it. Yep. And then you go buy a company and essentially it's a way to, to make it a publicly traded stock then. And uh, I, I don't know. It just feels like the next wave of yep. too much cash chasing around uh, investments that often are not good investments. And as you've seen, th- there have been some amazing stories of yep. huge performance, but there's been an awful lot of stories of them not working out real well. There's a pretty incredible story of a former Facebook employee, uh, Chamath, yeah. or Shamath, or yeah. however you want to say it. Shamath. Shamath, yeah, yeah, you say potato. But um, <laughs> he, he basically left a bunch of people hanging, it, it or so it appears. And the... The thing about understanding a SPAC is there are multiple levels. And so the ability to manipulate who does well and who doesn't in a SPAC is is something that I really don't am not interested yeah. in yeah. in any way, shape, or form. Uh, so, Josh, you mentioned themes. That one of them being there just seems to be way too much money floating around out there. So, to me, as I look back, as we look back on what drove the performance last year and what's likely going to drive it upcoming in this uh, in this year, I mean, it's hard to not think about the Federal Reserve's policies. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, last year, if you think about it, we were reopening the economy. It's easy to play Monday morning quarterback or armchair quarterback, whatever, and look back and say, oh, yeah, the economy was reopening. Of course, things were going to do well. Well, we didn't know about second wave, third wave, fifth wave, whatever. The vaccines turning all of us to zombies. We didn't know any of that. Okay. (laughs) Um, But looking back on it now, we can say, yeah, economy reopening. They they printed four to five trillion dollars and kept interest rates at zero percent. Yeah, I'm assuming the market would do pretty well mm-hmm. in that environment. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. And the the question is, well, how much of this is just manipulated by government policy or the Federal Reserve's policy? And clearly, it's creating a lot of tailwinds for the overall market. Um, you know, we we were concerned about it chasing ha- having too few too many dollars chasing after few too few goods. Wow, I can't even get yeah, that out. But same thing happening in the investment world. Yep. You know, there's only um, so many stocks that are are being targeted as um, places to park a lot of this money, and it's driving some of the the top stocks higher, as we've been talking in the last segment. And there's no incentive to save because there's no return on the money that you put in savings. Yeah. So basically, everyone said, "I need to go risk on," and when the Fed said, "Hey, we're going to buy everything." Back in March, April, May of 2020. I'm going to cut you off right there. So we've got more on what you should be doing with your money. That and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. What drove the markets this past year? What will drive them this upcoming year? What should you be doing with your money? That's what we're talking about. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online at wisemoneyshow.com or all over social media. Wherever you're at, we are there as well. Just search the Wise Money Show. Talking about themes in the investment world last year, and I heard an economist share that uh, the, the market went up because of Trina, which is what we were just talking about. And what is Trina? There really is no alternative. Hmm. I thought to it put was, your money. I thought it was her sister Tina. No, it uh, it could have been Trina, 
there really is no alternative at all. And so that so we were just we left off. I had to cut Kevin off here because we were talking about, well, there's so much money printed. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this sort of stuff before. When they print money, it doesn't get evenly distributed to all areas. And it also doesn't get distributed in largest quantities to maybe the people that need it most. A lot of the money that's printed goes into the financial system, and that that money then starts chasing after financial assets. Uh, this is the Cantillion effect. We've talked about this several times. And um, so it starts chasing after assets like stocks and like real estate and like you know companies, i.e. stocks, right? And um, trying to preserve wealth or, or grow. And so, yeah, when, when interest rates are at zero, when there's going to be inflation, which is definitely a theme and will be a driving theme for 2022, um, you're looking around, this money's looking around saying, well, where can I put it? And the stock market received a lot of those dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, in other words, you, you have a bunch of investors who suddenly have extra piles of cash in their hands because the government put it in their hands. They need to do something with it, and what do they do? They start buying stocks. The other thing that's been driving this, though, those who didn't go invest the money spent the money, much of them. Yeah. And um, what that does is it's created a very profitable environment for a lot of corporations here in the U.S. So the, 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 the highest profit margin, highest profit margin ever on record in the S&P 500. So we broke the record for most sales, highest sales. And this is with a crippling supply chain and all that, you know, and labor shortages and everything else. Um, but the in aggregate, the companies on the S&P 500 had higher revenue than they've ever had before. Mm-hmm. And of course, higher profits in a dollar amount, but higher profit percentage, profit margin right. than ever before. Yep. And that's a theme that we were kind of watching for over the past year. And, and you know, I to tip my hand, it's certainly one that we have to pay attention to in the year to come as well. Because the if you look at what investors are paying to own a slice of corporate America right now, they are essentially betting that that profit trajectory is going to keep on growing. And these corporations are going to continue to be more and more profitable. Otherwise, you wouldn't justify paying the kind of prices that the stock market is fetching these days. Mm-hmm. So that that will be a theme. It's will corporate America, will um, just business in, in general here in the U.S. continue to remain as profitable and keep on stretching into higher and higher profits the, in the year to come? And then there are two sort of tangents or or, or connections with that. And one is, well, will inflation erode that profit margin? Inflation would allow a company's sales to go up because they would charge more, but then their cost of labor and their cost of products, their cost of goods and all of that stuff would be higher. So it could infringe on their profit margin. To me, I think that's the greater, the greatest concern. Mm-hmm. In times of inflation, typically, you know, the stock market should do well. It, it should, but it's trying to figure out some of those distortions and it could wreak some havoc on havoc on their profit margins. Um, and, and, and then the other thing is the supply chain issues and labor shortages. So that could exacerbate inflation, like I believe it has, but it could also slow down demand or drag out demand and actually could help as well. Because think if we didn't have supply chain shortages and we had enough people working, 
revenue for these companies would have been even more. Profits would have been even more last year. And the fact that it's delayed, possibly that could help. We'll see. Yeah, there there is a school of thought that says the the crimp right now in the supply chain and some of these other things actually in the long run will be deflationary. And but you can't have deflation when uh, the and, and again, it's not perfect to say that the government's printing money. It's more it's a little more complicated than that. But it, at the end of the day, if we said the government's printing, you know, four to five trillion dollars, that money makes its way into the system. It makes its way to, you know, the 10, the 10 richest oligarchs last year, uh, their net worth increased over 500 billion with a B. Yeah. So, and if you look at this and in, again, this is a show about financial planning, not about politics. So we don't really talk about politics, uh, on this show, but they're, the politicians on both sides of the aisle have promised, Hey, there's not going to be any tax increase for the middle class. Well, I can tell you the tax increase for the middle class, it's called inflation. And that's much worse than an, than an actual tax increase because even though the people's wages have increased last year, the basket of goods and services that those wages would buy got smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people's wages are not keeping up with the increased cost of life and, yeah. and yeah. doing things. You know, anytime the Fed or Congress begin to manipulate with or, or, or tinker with the economic engine that drives the country here, they're going to create winners and losers. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's going to be outrage when too much of the winnings goes to a select few. But here, here's the two camps I would put this in. Those who are benefiting from inflation are those who own assets. Those who are you know, almost being punished by inflation are those who don't own assets and they spend most of their income on just goods and services that are going up, getting more expensive over time. And the, the key, though, Again, this is a show about financial planning, right? Mm -hmm. How do you make choices in your financial life? How do you put yourself in a position that tomorrow can be better than today? It is by owning assets. Yes. And, you know, in in a high inflationary environment, it's going to benefit you in some way. You need to own uh, investments that are growing for the future. If that's a 401k at work that you've never taken time to actually get um, plugged into, or you haven't been saving the right amount into, now is the time. You know, it's the beginning of the year. This is the time to be making changes that can be positive for the future. And, um, you know, it's it's hard to recommend to those who have been renting for a long time to go buy a house um, in, in this type of environment. This is a hard environment to be, um, you know, competing in. But you could be putting yourself in a position to be ready to buy a house when the opportunity comes again. Yeah, right? it's, it's all about positioning and at one of the parties I was at over the holidays, um, someone said, "Hey, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a house, but I'm just waiting for the market to come back down." And a good friend of mine looked at him and said, "It's not coming back down." Yeah. It's, now, it's, who knows? Who will will know five years, ten years from now who was right? But with all of the cash that's been pumped into the system, it seems. To me, from where we sit today, it seems unlikely that the housing market will come back and you could buy houses like you could in 2010 and 11. Mm-hmm. There's an anecdote to inflation that's a recession. 
right? And what typically starts recessions, a lot of them occur from policy mistakes. And I think that's going to be the biggest theme for this next year is what will the Fed do? They're, they're, they're tapering, they're slowing down the amount of money they're injecting into the markets, into the economy. Now, that's a far cry from them trying to pull money out. Um, and the thought is there will be two to three interest rate hikes next year, the first one possibly being May or June. And so we'll see if they make a misstep, if the market likes that or doesn't like that, if they will make any mistakes. And that will, that will likely drive markets quite a bit next year. The big question is then, what do you do with all this? So we've got that and more coming up on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Now a good time to rebalance your 401k or do you let winners ride? We're going to talk about that and other action items you should be taking in your investments right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard and with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on our YouTube channel. Go check it out. Search uh, Wise Money Show on YouTube. Subscribe to it there. Turn on notifications so you're made aware every time we drop a new episode, but also additional content that we post all throughout the work week. Okay, so we've recapped what happened in 2021 in the mar- in the markets, why, sort of the themes, and likely those are going to be the same themes this upcoming year that for 2022. Uh, you know, rising uh, profit margins and profit, those expectations seem to be extremely high. Really low interest rates and accommodative Federal, Federal Reserve policy, that likely is going to influence things in 2022, whether the Fed changes their tune on that or not. Inflation and speculation, obviously those uh, played a huge role last year and will likely do so in 2022. So all this comes down to, well, then what should you do? Based on all of that, what should you do with your with your investments. Guys, I, I've got a list. I'm assuming you guys do as well. What would you what would you share? The first one has to be that you need to give fresh eyes to your investments and be looking at it through the lens of financial planning. Don't just look at this as, um, you know, what can I do in my portfolio to give myself some bragging rights when I'm at the uh, backyard barbecue this summer? Mm-hmm. Uh, this isn't about the short-term gains or um, cool themes or sounding like you're kind of in the know of what's going on in the market. No, this is this is about choosing an investment mix that has legs to carry you long into the future, not just this year, mm-hmm. right? So re-examining your, your portfolio with that set of lenses, I think, is, is important. And if that's how you're evaluating your investments, then you're going to ask yourself things like, hey, am I still in balance with my portfolio? There have been some huge winners and some laggers uh, coming out of 2021. And, you know, when, whenever that happens, when there's that um, kind of disproportionate amount of growth in some select areas, y- you have those uh, areas of your portfolio start to kind of squeeze out or become too large of a portion of your overall portfolio. And that may be hard to hear because why would you ever want to maybe prune back a little bit of your winners? But that's exactly what rebalancing is. It's selling the stuff that did really well so you can buy the stuff that's cheap right now. And it's one of the most disciplined things that you can be doing. It's something that you need to do at least probably semi-annually. Uh, maybe even more frequently than that. And when you talk about rebalancing, a, a lot of times we're talking about what's in your retirement accounts, mm-hmm. what's in your qualified 
dollars on that side of the ledger. Yep. Because on your non-qualified, if you are doing rebalancing on the non-qualified side, it's likely you're going to create some sort of a tax event. Yep. So this is why you want to be working with your certified financial planner who is working on the strategy and then can also help with the implementation between your investments and your tax plan. Because not only would I rebalance in my qualified investments and look very closely at my non-qualified investments, if in my non-qualified investments, if I had any outsized winners, any big gains, I would look at what I'm planning on doing this year for charitable contributions, and I would move some of those highly appreciated assets into a donor-advised fund and sell it right now. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't make my contributions anymore with cash out of my own pocket. I would do it out of my donor advised fund. Yeah, I, I so I, I agree. Right now is the time to look at rebalancing. N- number one or or number two, because number one is, am I taking the right investment strategy, investment approach for my overall financial plan, my overall financial life? Are you taking more risk than you should right now? Mm-hmm. You're you're a year possibly two years if you if you were unsure what to do since the pandemic and economic shutdown with your investments, two years closer to retirement. And because of all the change and everything that's happened, maybe you're hoping to retire even earlier, as we've seen a lot of people do. And all of that influences what approach you should be taking with the with the risk level of your investments. I would also look and, and uh, gosh, so markets climb a wall of worry. Well, then what? I don't know. What's the market worried about right now? I don't, I, it seems more so that, that where even six months ago, 12 months ago, the common theme was market worry and concern. And right now it, it seems the opposite of that. And so I would, I would be, I would make sure that you've got a multidisciplinary strategy in your investments, holding both a diversified mix, but also a, a momentum or a strategy that has a sell discipline or or some sort of mechanism to adapt if and when needed. Absolutely. You know, another financial planning application to this whole concept or, or topic from today is uh, really reevaluating whether or not you are saving enough for your long-term goals as well. And if, if you just received a pay increase coming into the new year or you're expecting to have your wages increase, the, the risk is that um, you, you let your lifestyle, your spending creep right along with that. And th- that may not be entirely up to you. I mean, all the things that you spend money on at the grocery store and whatnot, it, it is getting more expensive, right? I can't, uh, I can't afford chicken wings. I don't like, so <laughs> when I go out to dinner, or we go out to eat, I don't buy chicken wings anymore. They are so stinking expensive. I remember those things, you, you, like uh, you could get um, like 50 cents a wing. Sometimes on a special, you get 30 cents a wing. It seems like they're three bucks a wing right now. Yeah, it's, it's insane. It is crazy. So. So life's getting more expensive, and that's kind of the point, right? Out there in the future, life will be more expensive as well. And if you were planning on living off of a fixed income, you are getting squeezed now and in the future. And so your savings plan, your goals and everything have to be reevaluated. Yeah, because wings don't cost more right now. They just don't. They, they went from $0.50 cents to $3. Wings don't cost more. The dollars that I'm using to buy wings are worth less. Because there's more of them out there. Because there's more of them out there. And that's what you, and a long time ago, a good friend of mine, as I was talking about my concerns about the deficit and 
all of these things said, no, oh, don't worry about it. We're just going to inflate it away. Yeah. And I thought, well, what do you mean? And, and I'm like, well, if, if, the, if we are able to create inflation such that your social security check will only buy a tube of toothpaste, um, we're not really worried about uh, $30 trillion of that. Well, on that optimism, <laughs> from, <laughs> from, an, from an investment standpoint, guys, what do you do with bonds? Like we, we uh, gosh, I remember, I can't place the, the person who said it, but someone said, the 60-40 portfolio is dead. <laughs> oh, yeah. It got oh, some backlash. You. <laughs> got, got some backlash from his co-host here at the Wise Money Show. Uh, but, but, the, but the 40 struggled. The bonds actually, they were underwater all year. And, I, again, a bad year for bonds is, is nothing. It's a bad, that's a bad day in the market. Okay, so nothing to be afraid of there. But with the likelihood that the Fed's going to in- increase interest rates and all that, what do you do? What do you do with that size of your portfolio, that side? Yeah, if well, if you're using the way it, you used to do it, you might need to make a change because when you look, you say, well, what would cause bonds to be negative? Well, if interest rates go up, bond prices go down. And so it's not much more complicated than that. And th- what the Fed is saying, you know, you, you said, Mike, what does the market have to worry about right now? And um, I am an optimist, but I would encourage you to think about the market worrying about potential interest rate increases and the Fed stopping buying somewhere between 120 to 180 billion dollars worth of bonds per month. Mm-hmm. And so cuz what that has done if you if you look at any kind of charts the anytime a line goes straight up it you it's not to be believed. Mm-hmm. And you I can make a case since March of 2009 till today, the line has, in essence, been straight up. And from March of 2020 to today, I mean, that that's about as straight up as it gets. Yeah, that's going back wheelie. All, all the way to the Great Depression, like right before the Great Depression. So, yeah, I would rethink your strategy for your for your bonds. Uh, we talk about having a sell discipline or a momentum strategy. Last year, uh, if you were in stocks, then the winners was the S&P 500, mm-hmm. right? If you were in any active strategy, you lost. It was it was an awful one of the funds that we've used is a is from a very large institution and was up well over 100% in 2020 and was flat in in 2021 which you'd say how is how is that even possible well it it was but that happened all over the place i mean if you look at all the investment themes coming out of 2020 into 2021 the winners became the losers the losers the prior year became the winners it was like a complete reversal on what was working and that may continue to happen in the years to come so so don't just plug yourself into one strategy and stick to it blindly you know, you, you need to have a diversified approach and you need to be revisiting it regularly. Yeah, and don't just look at your 401k and say, what won last year? And now I'm going to move money into that because the one that the the several funds that I, I'm in in my 401k didn't win last year. So I'm going to move them into last year's winners because they'll win again this year. It reminded me of when my son was born, my first son was born in February of 2000. And I looked back at uh, 1999, and Invesco Technology was up, had mm-hmm. been up 120%. And I thought, well, if I put some money in this fund and it only does half what it did last year, I should be fine. Fine. <laughs> and uh, yeah, needless to say, it, 
the investment was cut in half. Is that what happened? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not the return, the investment. Okay, but going back to, to bonds, a momentum or a diversified or, or an active strategy in bonds might really be helpful. There's uh, inflation-protected securities, something like that. That might be something you want to consider, high yield, something like that. But but just just buying bonds and, and letting it sit right now, that, that would be tricky. So I'd evaluate your strategy there. We've talked about it as well, but I'll just say it pointedly. I would increase what you're contributing into your 401k right now. I, I you know, ideally you're taking a look at your at your retirement plan and saying, "Am I contributing the right amount for my plan and my goals?" And if the answer is yes, and you still have excess resources, you might say, "Well, I'm going to contribute. I'm going to contribute even more than I need to for towards my retirement goal, just in case something changes." or whatever, right? But but certainly if you haven't done that math to see if you're on track or not, or you already have in your short, increase what you're contributing to your 401k right now. Buy more assets. Yep, I love it. You know, one of the greatest investments that you can make this year, though, is in yourself and your own education. And I, I think that's an important theme, especially at the beginning of every year. You know, set some goals on how it is that you're going to understand your financial life better this year because that will reap the most important dividends and and rewards for you in the years to come. So uh, I hope that this time next year, you are even more savvy when it comes to your financial life because of the investment of time and energy into understanding your life a little bit better. Yep. I've had several people just already this year reach out who we've had, we've served in the past providing financial wisdom and that relationship has morphed into us just managing investments and had several right at the beginning of the year that reached out and said, I, I got to get started on planning again. It's like, yes, yes, you do. Let's let's get a meeting scheduled with the team. So uh, hopefully this helps spur you on in that direction and you're making wise financial choices. All right, that's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, all of us at KFG, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated. There's a juxtaposition between what we're feeling and what we can say. I've never heard you use that word before. Oh. Well, you just weren't in the right position to hear it. <laughs> All right, here we go. That's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, truer words have never been spoken. Otherwise, funny show. Uh, All right, here we go.